Good to see everybody this morning. We are, um, we're going to be, if you have your Bibles with you or your phone or whatever you read the Bible on, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 today. We're continuing this um, series a little bit different from what we normally do in the fall. We're kind of stepping away from the lectionary. We'll get back to Genesis in a few weeks. Um, but at this point, we're, we're kind of working together through a journey of the soul. We're talking a little bit about the stages of our Christian life uh, and the things that happen along the way. Um, like, like Jake mentioned, we, we are, after the service, we'll have coffee and some muffins, and then at 11.30, you'll be able to break into some community groups. If you didn't come last week, you're welcome to join one this week. Uh, if you were here last week but skipped out anyway, but you think maybe I should join, I'll be out in the foyer. I can send you where you need to go. We can find a place for you, no problem. Uh, it's just a time for us to kind of reconnect with each other uh, as we, as we um, live life together. Um, and, and each week, we, like I said, we've stepped away from the lectionary, but we're going to look at sermon texts that kind of help us along the journey. Last week, we looked at Ephesians 2. It was a reminder that this, this whole journey is a pathway of grace, Right? That's, that's the whole thing that holds us up all along this way. And this week, I, I want to move to a, a text that's about the act that I would say formalizes the spiritual journey. Uh, it's, it's this point of accepting the call of Jesus. Now, I, I want to be really clear. Your spiritual journey didn't start the moment you accepted the call to Jesus. It's been going on. We say that all the time. Everyone's on a spiritual journey, whether they realize it or not. And God's been leading and guiding all the way up until that point. But we're going to look today specifically at what it means for Jesus to say, come down, follow me. And I want you to reflect on that point in your life. Maybe you've not come to that point, and today would be a day for you to make that decision. But uh, to give us some context to think about this, we're going to listen to a very, very familiar story. Uh, there's a real danger in familiar stories in the Scripture uh, because you just kind of think you've heard it all a million times, you gloss over it. But I'm going to ask Tim Larson if he'll come and read uh, about this little tax collector named Zacchaeus from Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. I've got to take those off. Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was filthy rich. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was really tiny, short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And he's short. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here, and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. He's really wealthy. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thanks, Tim. Here's yours. Yeah, exactly. Now, 
I'm assuming that for a lot of you, this is a story you've heard multiple times. You may have been able to sing the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? Did you guys sing that song? Is that just an American version? Um, but I want us to slow down just a little bit. I know this story seems like we've heard it, we know it, uh, but I want us to think about just step by step the things that went on there and what it might actually say to us. What this moment 2,000 years ago in Jericho, beside a sycamore tree, actually might speak into our lives. And, and I want to start with the realization that what's happening in this story is a familiar theme when it comes to Jesus. This is right in line with the way Jesus likes to do things. He always seems to stir up emotion, uh, especially when he, he treats the social outcasts the same way he would treat the people, or even, sometimes even better than the people who are kind of on the top of the pecking order. You know, the, the passage right before this in chapter uh, 18 is Jesus healing this blind man. Now, you've got to realize a blind man is seen as, as cursed by God. He's a social outcast, and yet Jesus goes to him. He calls out, and Jesus heals him, right? Jesus is, is one of these people that reaches to these uh, social outcasts, and the story of Zacchaeus is the story of an outcast. Like, he's at a different economic level than the blind man in chapter 18, but he's, he's hated. Even to acknowledge Zacchaeus and greet him was a controversial move for Jesus, a rabbi. But to go to his house, right, to say, I'm going to your house and to hang out with his friends and to eat a meal with him is stepping over the line. The text tells us Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Now, you, you probably know some of the context in that. Rome would hire people to collect taxes for them. They would say, this is how much you need to bring me and whatever they could get out of the people over and above that, they kept for themselves. And Zacchaeus, it says he was not just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. He, he, he believed in the McDonald's version of franchising, so what he had done was take his role and set up other people throughout the region that he would oversee, and he would get a cut of all of that. And it, most likely, every single person standing around this day when Jesus stops and looks up at Zacchaeus in the tree, some of their money is sitting in Zacchaeus' pocket. And they know that. They all know that. Why, why do you think he had to climb the tree? I mean, I know it says he was short. Well, you know, short people, if, if, if I'm watching a parade and there's a little kid that comes beside me that can't see, I, I'm kind enough to let them get in front of me. I can see over their head anyway. But nobody would do that for him. He was hated. You see, in their minds, in all the people's minds around him, he was a Jew, but not in reality. Yeah, he was born a Jew. He had Jewish parents. But his actions made him feel like a son of Rome, the oppressor. And they wanted nothing to do with him. In verse 7, they said, why is Jesus hanging out at the house of a sinner? Right? These tax collectors, because it was not a, a well-looked-upon position... <laughs> Usually they were chosen kind of from the, the dregs of society. People that had crimes. I know you guys have seen The Chosen, and Matthew is this, in The Chosen is one lovely guy. You just like that guy, right? Zacchaeus may not have been that guy. He may have been in trouble with Rome. He may have started to collect taxes because nobody wanted to do it. So very often it was a, a person that was kind of socially outcast anyway. And this guy Frederick Farrar in his book Life of Christ, he says, if a Jew could scarcely persuade himself it was right to pay taxes to Rome, how much more heinous a crime must it have been 
in his eyes to become the instrument to collect them. If a tax collector was hated, how still more intense must he have been the, dis the disgust entertained against a tax collector who was also a Jew? He was the ultimate traitor to their people. This is Zacchaeus. Second class at best, probably third, fourth class, an outcast. He had nothing going for him socially at all. You got to get that in your head. Realize exactly who he was. But what he did have was a desire to see Jesus. Sometimes the Bible just seems ordinary to me. Just the stories just seem so like, well, when Jesus, verse 3, when Jesus, excuse me, verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. <laughs> Isn't that just plain? That's just ordinary. So he ran ahead. Climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. You know, there's something about being broken, about knowing you're an outcast, about being hated, about failing and realizing you failed, that gives you a hunger for something more. You just want change. Often, you know, things are going pretty well for us, for the most part, and Jesus becomes kind of this add-on, kind of this nice thing we have in our life. But when you're at the very bottom, there's a hunger, there's this desire, and that's what Zacchaeus has. When we have nothing, it, it makes us long for something new and something great. And Zacchaeus, hated by others, for some reason wanted to see who Jesus was. And his life would never be the same because of the response of Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus is walking by, and it's, it's very clear. I love what we see of Jesus in this story. Everybody's focused on him, right? He's walking. The crowds are thronging. Zacchaeus has had to even climb a tree to even see him. Everybody's focused on Jesus, but he's singularly focused on the one person that the crowds want to ignore. The one person that everybody just wishes would go away, that's the one person that says he stops and he looks up and he sees him there. The idea is that, that everything in Jesus' agenda has stopped and he's found Zacchaeus. And he does this, we'll see in the text, because Jesus is very clear about why he's come and what he's about. It all starts with something we talked about last week. A very common theme on this pathway of grace is, is this idea of acceptance, that the outcast is seen and he's known. He's seen and known. In verse 5, that's what it says. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus had wanted to see Jesus. That was his hope. I just want to see the guy. I just want to check him out. I just want to know what he's like. But in that moment, Jesus sees him, and he calls him by name. So he's known. <laughs> Zacchaeus is known. Zacchaeus would have liked to not been known, right? His name meant Jesus knew things about him. And he invites himself to Zach's house. He says, I'm, I'm going to go and hang out at your house today. And we, we hear this, right? We've heard, everybody knows that. It's no surprise. But we don't get what's happening here. This is the Pope walking down the street and pointing to a prostitute and saying, I'm coming to your house today. That's the dynamic, right? The height of socially incorrect behavior. You just don't do that. You just don't do it. It's risky. It doesn't look right. And it's so risky that we see that it threatens Jesus' reputation. They begin to mutter, he's gone to the house of a sinner. You know, this is a culture where they would go to the market the faithful Jews would, they would come back and they would ceremonially wash their hands in case they had encountered 
a Gentile or a sinner in the market. It was a, a way of keeping themselves pure from the world around them. That's, that's the people that are watching. And Jesus says to the tax collector, I'm coming to your house. And eating in that culture, you know, if there was an agreement that two parties needed to make, a covenant, they sold land, or there was a, a marriage happening. Once the agreement was, was formed to show that they all agreed, they sat down together and they ate a meal together. So eating with someone was an endorsement. And so they're just thinking, why would Jesus go there? People are talking. And there are things you just don't do in town. I, I laugh because there are things I don't do in town just because. I don't want, I, I may be totally innocent, but I don't want to have to deal with the fallout. Years ago when I was coaching basketball and I was in shape, I used to run with the basketball team because I led the pack. But as I got more out of shape and started running behind 10 teenage girls, I realized that's not a good optic for hope to have the Baptist pastor chasing 10 teenage girls around the town. So I stopped. Right? You just don't do that. There are things that we don't do because we want to protect we don't want to have to deal with those things. But Jesus, here he is. He's just walking around. I'm coming to your house, Zach. Let's go. Taking actions that the people are talking about. And it, it threatens his reputation, but it flows right out of his identity. Why does he do it? Because this is who he is. In verse 10, he's, he's very clear on who he is. For the Son of Man. right? This is that reference back to Daniel. It's, it's, it's no little phrase, just saying, I'm a human. He's saying, you know, I'm the Messiah. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And on this road, there's a guy in the tree that is one of those lost ones. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus in, in Nazareth at the synagogue, he got up in Luke 4 and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' whole identity was wrapped up in bringing freedom and forgiveness, grace, we talked about last week. And we talked also about expectations, how that drives our life the wrong way. But what he's doing with Zacchaeus is accepting him as a tax collector, a chief tax collector. And he's free from what other people think of him, this is Jesus. He's free from their opinions because he knows who he is. He knows what God has called him to do. He knows that, that within the Trinity he is loved and accepted and he's free to do what he needs to do to bring glory and honor to God. I love this response of Jesus because you know what he does? He moves toward the one that the entire religious community was moving away from. And we could learn a lesson in that. Jesus moves toward the people that the religious community often moves away from. I think it's a reflex that he had or, or, or a response that we would do well to follow, especially when you look at the impact of the response, when you see what happened. You can imagine what Zacchaeus might have been thinking or feeling as he, as he walked slash ran to the sycamore tree. Like, I'm sure he's... He's kind of excited, you know, there's an event happening. He's, he's hoping he can see this guy, but he's also got this maybe even unspoken sense of longing for something different that's driving him there. There's probably some apprehension in him. He wonders, you know, maybe he, he's afraid nothing will happen. You know, just go, life will just go on as normal. And yet what happened to bring him down from that tree? He never could have expected that. 
He never would have thought Jesus was going to say his name and say, I'm coming to your house. He never would have thought he was going to be seen and known by Jesus, and even in the seeing and the knowing, he was going to be accepted. Jesus, once again, moves toward him. I'm coming to your house. I want to spend time with you. And this acceptance and love cultivates in Zacchaeus both joy and obedience. The Greek wording here really emphasizes both of those things. First, the obedience. Jesus says, you know, immediately, come down from that tree. And it says, and Zacchaeus came down. Well, the, the Greek uses the exact same words in both phrases. It says, Jesus speusas, which means at this moment, kabete, come down. Speusas kabete. And then it says right after that, and speusas kabet, which means, and he came down. It's, it's, the, the words are exactly the same because the text is saying exactly what Jesus said was exactly what Zacchaeus did. You know, he was wealthy. He was powerful, as Tim said. You know, he, he, he was used to telling people what to do, but at this moment, he did exactly what Jesus told him to do. This response of Jesus to him has brought him to a new place where he's willing to take direction instead of just give it. And it, it's not like, okay, whatever you say, yeah, sure. He's excited. He says he welcomed him gladly, literally with rejoicing. That's the Greek word is, is the word that joy comes out of. He's, he's overwhelmed. He's, he's thrilled. And we talked last week in those circles about how the acceptance and love of God actually puts you, brings you to a place of energy where all of a sudden you're, you've got some drive and some spunk and there's something going on in you because you've been loved. And that's exactly, yes, okay, let's go to my house. I'm coming. And on the way home, he makes this profound statement. And you need to get the dynamic here. They're heading to his house, and the leaders of Jewish society are kind of turning up their noses at his behavior. In verse 7, you know, I can't believe this guy is going to the house of a sinner. Like, he had to hear that. He had to know that was going on. And it says in verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up. Now, it's not like Zacchaeus just said to Jesus, hey, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to, I'm going to give away half my wealth, and I'm going to repay four times anybody that I've wronged. That word for stood up literally is he took his stand. It, it was used when, when somebody would come into a room and make a formal declaration. That's the word. So you've got this whole train following to see what happens. Zacchaeus and some of his buddies probably, and they're walking with Jesus, and he stops because he knows what they're thinking. And he says at that moment, he makes his proclamation, I'm going to give away half my wealth. And if I've taken money from anybody, and everybody's like, well, if, yeah, buddy, right, yeah, if, I'm going to give you four times back. That's, if you go back in the Mosaic Law, that's the rate of recompense when you take things to return four times. You took a cow, you're supposed to give four cows back. He knows that. What we see in him at that moment is a confidence that inspires change. He's making a major life change right here on the spot. He's declaring that the way he lives is going to be different from here on out, all because of that moment. All because he was seen, he was known, he was accepted. He's like, man, I've got to be different. I want to live differently. It's all based on the acceptance of Jesus. The outcast finally has been welcomed home. He's loved where he was instead of being hated for where he was. And he makes these statements to show that this is the way he wants to live from now on. I want to give away half of what I own. I'm going to pay back four times. And that's a significant financial hit. I mean, I know he was wealthy, but you give away half, that, that's a significant hit. And he's, been, he's made all his money, pretty much, off taking it from other people. And now he's going to give four times that back. 
It's a significant statement. And how can he do this? Well, Jesus says, let me tell you why he can do this, because salvation has come to this house today. Because this man truly, is, too, is the son of Abraham. Yeah, that, he, he was an outcast Jew, but no, no, he's, he's truly a son of Abraham. And Jesus is not saying that because he did that, this is coming. He's saying this is, this is the evidence that the acceptance has made a difference. We talked about that last week, right? This is the fruit of grace, not the cause that grace comes. Grace has come first, and Zacchaeus changes. And this newfound acceptance by Jesus has inspired confidence in Zacchaeus. He knows that the money is not what he can base it. I don't, who cares, he says. Who cares now? Something else is the foundation for my life. He's accepted by God, and that's changed everything. And that's something we should take to heart as we journey with Jesus. Last week I said, used the phrase a lot, and I've used it already today, that this following of Jesus is a pathway of grace. But I, I, that phrase, pathway of grace, it's more than a concept. What's a path made for? The made, it's made for people to walk on, right? For you to, to travel on it. And it, it, it's, a, it's a pathway of action. Of moving. And for all of us, there comes a point in time when, at least from our cognitive point, we start the journey. We start walking on that path. That's why Zacchaeus, he's walking on, he realizes, I gotta do something. So he, I'm gonna give away half my, he's making a statement as Jesus comes to his house. And this really, like I say, is a continuation of what God has been doing all along up until that point, where he sees us and knows us and calls us. See, we all have our moment in the tree. <laughs> we all have that moment. For whatever reason, we want to see Jesus. We feel that desire. Maybe it's a brokenness that we want healed. Maybe it's an emptiness that we want filled. Maybe it's just desperation. Maybe it's curiosity. But for some reason, we want to see him. We want to know about him. And we're looking, and then the moment comes. Now, maybe for most of you in here today, you've made that decision, right? You had your moment in the tree. Uh, for me, I think it was at 7 when I prayed with my parents, but at, again, maybe at 18 when I kind of made my faith my own. But, but we've had that moment. Some of you may not. You maybe never, never actually said, okay, I'll, I'll follow. I'll buy into what you're saying. I'll let you lead. But anyone that encounters Jesus will eventually be asked to respond. They have their moment in the tree. And Jesus always does that, even with the disciples. You remember... In Mark 8, he says, who do people say that I am? And they say, oh, all these are the things. He says, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? And, and for me, that's a question I have to let him ask me repeatedly. Yes, I made my decision at 7 and kind of reconfirmed it and understood it more at 18. But every day, he's like, really? Am I the leader? Is that who you say I am? Is I'm the one, am I the one calling the shots? Am I the one that's going to lead your life? Who do you say that I am? And in that moment, we're faced with a decision. And I think the, the thing that can help us in that moment is the thing that helps Zacchaeus, right, in the tree, to realize that Jesus sees us, he knows us, and he calls us. He sees us as we are. He, he wasn't deluded about the kind of guy that Zac was. He knew. He wasn't surprised. The passage in John 2, 24 and 25. Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He didn't need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. I remember as a kid, 
They used to terrify me. <laughs> Jesus knew me. You know, I could put up a good act for my parents and my Sunday school teacher, my teachers. I could, but there was some stuff in there that I didn't want anybody to know. And I'd read that, and I'd be like, Jesus knows what's in there. And it can be terrifying until you realize that he sees and he knows and he calls. He still wants us at that point. He still loves us. When you, when, when, God, when you realize that God knows the good and the bad and the ugly about you, every single thing about you, and it doesn't stop him from doing what he came to do, to seek and to save that which was lost. I mean, that's good news. That's, that's the news I think the world is longing for, whether they realize it or not. That's why they call it gospel. Our sin, even our worst, does not keep him away from us. He comes to us just like he came to Zacchaeus. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And that can set you free. He, he didn't get tricked into this. It's an amazing truth. Jesus can hang out with the sinner Zacchaeus and the sinner Jeff and the sinner you because that's what he does. He loves us. He comes to us, and in that situation, he calls. He says, hey, you, I want to come to your house. I don't just want to see you as I walk by. I want to be in, in a relationship with you. And his call to us is really a request for us to let him come to us, to where we are. You know, people always talk about call, you know, and pastors and preachers, when did you get the call? I grew up in the South, and that was a really big thing. Did you, have you had the call to preach, son? Have you had the call to be a pastor? Yeah. I, I, I don't like that wording because, you know what? Every single person has the call. And the call is Jesus saying, hey, I want to come to you. Not, okay, you've got to do this stuff for me. He doesn't need you. The call is he wants to come to you and change your life. He says, let's do this together. And how, how do we say yes to I mean. How do, what motivates that? Well, his acceptance cultivates a continual response. Zacchaeus says, it, Jesus' acceptance of him, I want to go to your house, brings him out of that tree. They're walking together, and there's this continual response to this love and grace of Jesus. And this, sorry, this seems to be the one sermon that I keep giving, and I appreciate your patience with me. I, I've always joked I have three or four sermons, and I just kind of package them differently my whole, in 22 years. But this is becoming the main one. Um, the gospel, that, that God's grace is what enables us to change. Because of his love and acceptance, I can trust him. I, I know he's never going to leave me or forsake me. So all those things that I've hidden away, all those things that I'm ashamed of can bubble to the top and he can deal with them. I can begin to let my life be shaped by that. And as I do that, my rebellion against him seems so much seems so counterproductive. If I'm deeply loved and accepted by this God, why would I want to walk away? Why would I want to refuse? That's why I keep coming back to Titus 2, 11 and 12. The grace of God has appeared to all, that offers salvation to all people. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I was at the men's breakfast yesterday morning, which was great. It was so good to hear guys' stories. Um, but I had two guys at my table, and one of them was struggling with something, and one of them was just saying, you know, you just got to surrender. You got to surrender. You got to surrender. And that's all true. And I also said, yeah, but you know what helps you surrender is to know that God, it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no. And, and yes, you need to hear that call. 
But you also need to realize what motivates that call is that God loves you right where you are right now. It's not like you have to lay this thing down so that God will start loving you. We start with the love and acceptance of God right here, right now, where we are in our brokenness, in our failures, in our opinions, in our hunger to be right or to be impressive, in our ego. God comes to us in our tree and he invites us to him. He says, I want, I want us to be in life together. That's the incarnation. That's, see what I mean about this is the way Jesus does things. The whole idea is God did not stay there. He came here to pursue And when we get that, I think we can't help but respond continually. Once once we realize that that we're saved by grace through faith, like we talked about last week, it's not from ourselves, it's a gift from God, not by our works. Once we realize that, we read verse 10 of Ephesians 2, where it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This continual response happens. That acceptance brings energy, which feeds that fruit which cultivates a a greater sense of acceptance, which just keeps going on and on and on and leads us to a place where we're growing in our confidence in Christ. As you begin to to taste this love of God that loves you where you are, that leads to a transformed life, maybe only in small places at first, but you see, you begin to see that his forgiveness is changing you. As you do that, you begin to realize, hey, there is some hope for me. I'm not who I used to be. Yeah, I still struggle, but I, can, but I have a safe place to struggle because God loves me. And you grow in this confidence in Christ. This, to me, is one of these first stages. The book many of you are reading together talks about this first stage of, of growing in confidence in our relationship with Christ. It's, it's built on that foundation of grace. But then as you grow in that confidence, it becomes this perpetuating thing. It's, it's almost like the sweetest addiction you'll ever find. And the psalmist writes in Psalm 63, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. Behold your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I cling to you. And your right hand upholds me. That's that's confidence in Christ, and it it will cultivate, but you have to start by letting him see you and know you and call you, and the call is actually him coming to you instead of even you coming to him. A growing willingness to surrender to his leading, a growing hunger for more of God, for the things that, that that he's calling you to, less hunger for the things you used to base your life on. It's a moment, a time when you need to surrender. And, and, and like I say, maybe for some of you, this is the first time you've ever really thought seriously about giving your life to Jesus, putting your trust in him. There's lots of phrases. Asking him into your life or into your heart, whatever the phrase may be, it really means, okay, I'm going to surrender and, and believe what he says and follow where he leads and do what he says instead of basing my life on what I want. Maybe you've, you've climbed up that tree just to see, could it be different? <laughs> and, and as long as you sit in that tree, you'll never know. You come down, you follow, you go back to your house, you might be amazed what will happen as you walk with him. And all of us, I think, 
Just need to renew that commitment day by day to remember. Because we, we get shifted. I, you know, like I said, I prayed at 7 to receive Jesus at 18. I felt like I made my faith my own. But every day, it's like, am I going to surrender to the grace of God and let him lead me? Or am I going to try to build my life up with the things I think are important? And some days I, I respond beautifully, and some days I don't. <laughs> but guess what? Still loved and held, accepted by God. Which means the next time that comes around, it feels a lot more important to respond this way instead of that way. So maybe you've climbed up that tree just hoping that life could be different, and as Jesus walking by, he stops, he looks, and he sees you, and he calls your name, and he says, come, come on, let's go, we're going to hang out. We need, to, we need to be together. The question is, what, what are you going to do with that? Let's pray. God, so often we, um, we just don't let your truth sink in. And, and this is one thing we want to know, that the same love you had for Zacchaeus, who was hated by the people around him for so many good reasons, the same love that you have for him, you have for us. That there is no darkness in us that you cannot bring light to. There is no death in us that you cannot bring life to. There is no reason that we need to stand in shame before you because of your great love. And I pray, God, that, that if there are those here today who've never taken a stand or said, I'm, I'm going to follow you, that this would be the day that in their own hearts right now they could just ask you to lead and take over. And for those of us who've done it years ago and still walk this journey and sometimes we wander away and sometimes we, we miss the point, just remind us that you are there calling us, wanting to come into our house to be with us, that your grace will never forsake us, that it will uphold us, and as we surrender, it will transform us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's a great song, Gary. Thanks for picking that one. Here's the news. This is what I want you to know this week and what I'm praying for all of us. Jesus is our only hope, but he's enough. He's enough to get us exactly where we need to be. He's more than enough, right? You can can hope in how you look or how you think or what you can do, and all that's going to fall away. But but if you hope in him, if that's the one thing you're counting on, then then you're going to be just fine. He's going to carry you exactly where he needs you to go. My prayer for you this week. Amen.